into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from an episode with Ender King and it's episode number 288 all around preventing athletic hip and groin injuries. But in this particular clip we chat all things assessments. So assessing risk even before an injury can take, has taken place or assessments during the rehab process to use as benchmark exit criteria as the RTP process uh, is followed through with. So a really interesting episode coming up with Ender. Just before we do dive into that, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free solution to be able to collect, analyze, visualize, and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. So let's go back to the assessment front. So you mentioned a couple, um, but I just want to go into a bit more detail on some of the uh, things that we discussed previously, like hip and trunk control and strength. Could you go take us through the assessment that you would go through with, with an individual? Is that yeah. possible? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we would start off with a, with a full biomechanical profile. So that would be uh, drop jumps and counter movement jumps, looking at their power and plyometric output, but also the mechanics in which they execute those movements. Um, so everything's been filmed in that? Everything, okay. everything, everything. So it's always, and this goes for, you know, your, your change direction speed or time or your running mechanic, you know, your running speed. You can be running at an X speed, but you can be producing that force very differently across a number of athletes. So it's, it's always that, that combination between the numbers you're producing and the way that you're producing those numbers. Um, and so we would do our drop jump and kind of movement jump testing. We would do uh, running mechanics, high speed running on a treadmill, uh, looking at, Frontal plane mechanics in particular in mid-stand, so pelvic drop, trunk sway, hip adduction, foot control, looking at um, control of rotation, in particular arm swing, trunk swing, and, and swing leg mechanics. Um, uh, we would look at their, in the, in the sagittal plane, their ankle dorsiflexion, their ground contact, their pelvic position at mid-stance and at toe-off, and their overstride. You can begin to again. It's not that any one of these things is is causing the problem, but they're all contributing to where load is accepted and and, and transferred and dissipated. Um, and then we do um, planned and unplanned change direction. Uh, again, looking at their foot position. So those that tend to have issues around lateral lip control, etc., tend to rotate uh, change direction of more externally rotated foot, um, which is going to influence how they load the, the head neck junction of the femur. And um, they tend to lose control of their center of mass rather than their stance leg, either by rotating uh, ipsilaterally and either causing impingement around the hip joint or anterior pelvis or increased sway, loading through the uh, abdominals and through the adductors. Um, and then we will go back and do an individual strength profile, which would be isokinetic testing, most commonly around the hip and around the knee, um, but also around the ankle as well, If they've, uh, especially in footballers who have had a, a history of, of, of ankle sprains previously. Um, and then we look at a global motor control assessment around how they overhead squat, how they lunge, how they deadlift, and what their torical lumbar and lumbar pelvic control is like. Because a lot of the time, the emphasis tends to be, and rightly so, on the pelvic position on the hip. But especially in, in those that do a lot of strength training, uh, rugby, um, AFL, Gaelic games, NFL, you get this big stiff thorax. And so you can do all this lovely lumbar pelvic work, and then you have this big, you know, stiff, immobile thorax that's going to greatly influence. Uh, a your, your, your squatting mechanics and how you lower your central master and change direction but also b uh, influence how you can recruit your oblique muscles and and, and the position or am i going to dominate through my rex abdominis uh, as is very common 
in those anteriorly tilted and rib flared positions. So um, you're, you're going through all of that. And so when we go through it, the way I try and talk the athlete through it is, is we do the assessment uh, uh, from the lab all the way back to the to the assessment plinth, looking at hip range and, and and individual muscle strength, and then we say, right, I'm going to I'm going to talk you back up through this now again. So, can you see the deficits here and here in your strength? Can you see how that's reflected in your reduced power output or your reduced plyometric ability? Can you see how those have an influence on that mid stance mechanic? You're less springy and you're more pelvic drop in mid stance and running. You're more anteriorly tilted in your squat, and you can see that carrying through your change direction and your overhead squat. You say, right. Can you see how you're complaining of pain when you sprint or you're complaining of pain when you change direction? Can you see the difference in mechanics left versus right? Um, and of how we, if we coached or, or influenced those movement patterns, that should have a positive effect, both from a performance point of view, but also from a, a, um, an offloading or an injury a, a management point of view. And so now we need to build a program that's going to address this in you. And I normally have clips of, of other athletes um, who have groin pain as well and show them how even though they're the same pain can present very, very differently. And so, and especially when, you know, clubs often bring multiple players across or bring a player back, um, a player, a different player back than the one who had been previously. And it's fantastic to contrast the different mm. be- between the two players uh, in how they move and what drives player one versus player two. Because uh, commonly you'll find that, you know, you copy and paste the program that worked for that athlete and just give it here and then can't work out why it's not having the, the same effect. And that, 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 that goes to suggest that the program is the key here and the program is not the key. The assessment is the key and the to-do list is the key. You pick any exercise you want. Like the beauty part of our job is that there's fantastic ways of coming up with new exercises, new strategies uh, when it comes to motor learning and how we manipulate drills to influence running mechanics. Generate. Like that's incredibly enjoyable side of work. Um, so it's not that there's a right way and a wrong way there's where you are and there's where we think you need to be and one of our, our, our I suppose a couple of our findings from our, our research uh, intervention when we took a cohort of these athletes and managed them um, it's in, the, in the British Journal of Sports Medicine managed them specific on how they move not on where their pain was coming from so dumped in a doctor, dumped in iliosoas, pubic etc, abdominal and we found there was no relationship between uh, commencing the program and, and pain-free return to play, uh, no relationship with your anatomical diagnosis. So right. just because you're a pubic bone or a doctor, it made no difference in how quickly you recovered. And um, your, the influence of how long you were symptomatic had no relationship with how quickly you recovered. So you could be symptomatic for six weeks or 16 weeks or 60 weeks. And that had no So if, if where the pain is coming from doesn't matter and how long you're sore for doesn't matter, well, then is it how quickly I can bring you from where the way you're moving now to where we think we want you to go and sensibly load manage across that period? Is that what's going to successfully get us from A to B? Because my adductor program might work for one, but not work for another. So it can't be that the, the program is specific to, you get lots of athletes who come for review and that have done, you know, weeks of, of core work and weeks of adductor strengthening and test extremely good and extremely strong in those areas. And have no symptom change because their adductor strength was not what the problem was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say all athletes have, have good adductor strength, but one of my colleagues, Sam Beda, is currently doing his PhD. He's repeating our our, uh, our uh, study on, on segmental control and athletic groin pain. And he's looking at uh, handheld dynamometry changes pre and post. And it's really interesting how quickly those measures recover, despite the fact that 
you know, there's no specific adductor strengthening within the program. So um, I think that's something that is, 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 is getting through that need to be, it's not that this is the program you need to do. It's not that this is the exercise you need to do. It's you're going to change it. And you only have to go on, on, on Twitter these days and you'll see mm-hmm. 101 different uh, home exercise programs. And uh, yes. I wouldn't mind shares in, in Joe Wick's uh, oh, uh, body coach. Yeah, fair juice. And we're talking about hardworking guys. Uh, yeah. He's really banged it out now. But, um, you know, so there's, there's lots of ways of doing it. But what are you changing? And, you know, if you, if you don't look or test any different in six or eight or ten weeks, have I failed rehab or I've just, I'm on the driving range hitting golf balls and, I, you know, I'm wondering why I'm still off 18 or whatever it is. So anything, any assessments around kicking, especially for, for sports like AFL or soccer or? Yeah, so yeah. We, we would get, again, you tend to see, it's interesting when you look at, you take uh, soccer as an example, you know, if you look at where they do the majority of the kicks versus the kicks that they say provoke them. So the majority of the kicks are short in-step kicks, you know, passing around, tiki-taka, whatever, whatever kind of uh, you're doing. However, that's not the ones that tend to provoke them. The one that tends to provoke them is that long cross-field ball to the far side. And so is that, a, you know, is that a, a mechanical issue with kicking or is it I'm sensitive in that area and here's a very high-load uh, maneuver influencing that? But you, um, you would see it. We would do a lot of assessment you get a lot of, of, of kicking pain in, in rugby, as an example, in your fly halves, um, in your, sorry, in your number 10s. Um, and a lot of the time, the pain can be on either leg. So you get those that when they plant, it's their stance leg that they're developing their groin pain on. So they have sure. poor control in mid-stance when they go to kick. Or you'll get the others who they get it on their swing leg. So everyone always seems, you know, kicking pain, kicking pain must be on the kicking leg. But actually... There's two sides to that. Number one is certainly in my experience, a lot of them can get the pain on, on either leg. It can be the stance leg or the kicking leg. Um, in, in defined single leg kicking sports, obviously in football, especially league football, people tend to kick more prevalently with both legs. But let's say uh, in, in, in rugby, as an example, you have a dominant kicking leg. Um, they can develop symptoms on either side. So poor control on my stance leg, developing uh, pain when they go to plant or on the contralateral side, or by extension, developing pain on their kicking leg, but because of the mechanics in the stance leg. So they don't have that you know, firm stability, that, that, um, that solid pillar to anchor off, to generate force through the abdominals and hip flexors and rec fem. And so strengthening my rec fem and strengthening my doctors and hip flexors on that side may not be enough to, to, to address why I become symptomatic in that area. Um, and so we would always look at, and there's a huge, obviously, overlap between running mechanics and kicking mechanics in that, you know, the, the global pattern of flex one leg while standing on the other one is, is quite consistent between the both. And so those that you tend to see that are in anterior pelvic tilt and standing and a big pelvic drop or sway, a lot of those characteristics tend to come out in, in their kicking mechanics as well. But you, you're, you're left with that imbalance in that. Is, is kicking the problem or is kicking just a provocative uh, activity because the majority of kicks in soccer, at least, are sh- short distance in-step passes. Um, and they don't tend to be reported as being particularly provocative. It's that long cross-field ball or corner kick or uh, cross in from the wing that tend to be, the, or goalkeeper kicking off the, off, off the ground, that tend to be the more provocative activities. 
Mm-hmm. So when athletic growing pain presents itself, I guess the, the the main question that players, athletes will be asking, coaches will be asking, managers will be asking, is can they still train? So is yeah. that something that you, I mean, I know everything, every um, case is different, but is that something that can continue during this period? Yeah, I think it, it goes back to our steps. So number one is, um, uh, am I clear where the pain is coming from? So again, do I want to continue training with stress fractures and ecofema? I, I probably don't. Um, so having clarity around that is obviously very important. If we if we bucket all the different injuries and athletic groin pain together, so pubic adductor, et cetera, um, do you have to stop uh, training or playing in order to get rid of the problem? If you flag it early enough, by and large, you don't. And so often a a 20% reduction in training load will be enough while in parallel. And a lot of the time, they tend to reduce their training load anyway because they know that makes them feel better. Mm -hmm. But a a defined 20% reduction in training load while assessing the high-speed multiplanar movements that they say provoked them and intervening in those movements on a weekly basis should see. It may not be the quickest way to get from A to B, but while maintaining participation in season. And it's interesting, a lot of the times players will tell you that they don't find matches are the hardest thing at all. They find training sessions the hardest. Those small-sided games, those two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, you might change direction 50 times in in, in ten, you know, in five minutes. I mightn't change direction 50 times in the entire game. Um, and so if you can identify the highly provocative activities, if you can reduce their overall, uh, whether it's your high-speed running or your, or your total running volume by X percent, but let's say 20% as an example, and in parallel, you've identified all the mechanical reasons why they're becoming symptomatic. And if you're changing those reasons or the, the tests are improving on a week, not the pain provocation test, because you reduce load, you're going to feel better, or you should feel better. But if your metrics on how they move are changing on a weekly basis, you should find that for a, for a reduction in training load to 80%, their symptoms improve week on week on week. And then when they get to pain free, you can start to reintroduce a full training load again. However, the majority only, only present to us or often only put their hand up in the, within the club when they can't get out of bed the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they'll say, you know, how long have you had this problem? Uh, to be honest, my groin has been a bit stiff and sore for about six weeks. You think, Why didn't you tell us six weeks ago? Like it, it goes back to, you know, the real challenge in working uh, in elite teams is that players want to keep playing or, or are incentivized to keep playing until they can't uh, or most of them are at, at any rate um, and so trying to educate them that you know a stitch in time saves nine and that if you're proactive and again it's and again it's again with the lens it's always the ones that have been previously injured are the quickest ones to get on top of things really quickly whereas your younger athletes keen to make an impression don't want to step back out of Anton. Um, I wouldn't necessarily skeletally Im- immature, but load-wise immature in terms of what the training history is and maybe the coordination of mechanics and some of the compound lifts and running and change direction mechanics. They're the, the ones that need to be putting their hand up the quickest, not to step out of training, but to keep modifying things and making sure they're being proactive are often the last ones to do it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip came from episode number 288 with Ender King, and that can be found on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I'll chat to you next time.